Frank, this episode of Phone Booth Fighting is brought to you by Earth's Brew, our loyal sponsors that have uh, been with us for quite some time now. The plant-based Nirvana. Relaxation fusing the best of all worlds. Health, taste, efficacy, and experience. And uh, we drink it. It's all natural, plant-based, vegan. Uh, corresponds with a lot of different types of uh, diets. You do the keto diet, you do the paleo, you do the vegan, whatever. It fits with uh, all that. We always have the box of Earth's Brew right here on the table inside the Phone Booth Fighting Bunker. But they have a very special offer. We got a communique from uh, the uh, the head dude over there at uh, Earth's Brew, Jonathan, and his buddy Joe. Go ahead and uh, explain to everybody what this uh, special offer is they have right now exclusively for Phone Booth Fighting listeners. Tell them what this email says. Well, they're doing uh, the second paragraph here, right? Yep. We have one free 10-pack. No, oh, I'm sorry. No, the first paragraph. Oh. Go ahead and give them the setup. Uh, thanks to the great support we have received from the Phone Booth Fighting listeners, we have been able to raise the scale of our operations, allowing us to now offer 99 cents shipping on all packet orders with box orders shipping absolutely free. We are generally grateful to Frank, Richard, and Travis. Hey, Travis got to mention. Yeah, and all the phone booth fighting listeners for making this possible. And to show our appreciation, we are proud to offer Earth Brews 10 packs to all listeners in the United States and Canada for the cost of shipping only for the entire month of October. That's just 99 cents for Americans and $3.50 for Canadians. So that's one free 10-pack per listener. If you're one of the many listeners that have already become Earth's Brew customers, uh, they say we appreciate your continued support, and you too are still eligible to receive your free 10-pack. So here's how this works. You go to earthsbrew.com. You enter promo code PHONEBOOTH99 to have it delivered right to your door. So you can try out the Earth's Brew just for the cost of shipping. 99 cents in America, $3.50 for Canada. And those just happen to be our two biggest countries, followed closely uh, by Great Britain. I thought Australia was up in there. Australia's four. Yep, they're fourth. I wasn't right. Not quite wrong. One day, we need to run down the list of places where we have single-digit listeners. Uh, there are uh, We have one listener in Sudan. I was looking earlier today. Really? Yeah. And I'd like to know who that person is. But I was really thinking that it would be fun to do some of the countries where we have like two listeners and try to see if we can introduce them. See if we can get them to meet. How would you like to be the only two people in an entire country right. that know about something? That'd be funny. The meetup will be uh, quite intimate. Yeah. So thanks to uh, Jonathan and Joe for making this uh, very special offer available to our listeners. If you haven't tried Earth's Brew before, now's the time to do it. Or even if uh, you have been on it for uh, a while now, you can save some money. Uh, because you're eligible for that uh, free 10-pack as well. Again, earthsbrew.com. Enter the promo code PHONEBOOTH99 to qualify for that special offer. And on top of all that, guys, they sent us T-shirts. Here's the big boy size. That's a 2XL for you, Frank. Nice. Now, let's see if Frank gets Travis, because I think and Travis got a shirt here too. Travis, uh, let's see if Frank gets what the... Uh, what the theme of the shirt is, what the parody is. Hold that up to the camera. Now, what does it say? Nirvana, and it's showing a little happy face guy with his eyes yep. crossed out. Plant-based Nirvana. Do you get that, Travis? I don't. It's a parody of the band Nirvana's logo. That's the font that they used, Nirvana. 
Okay. And then they also had the little smiley face guy. They did a little variation on it, but I, I just remember. Don't you remember in high school, like everybody wore the the, the t shirt with the naked baby? Yeah, yeah. that's the only one I remember. Yeah, the, that I remember. Yeah, right? that was the album cover of Nevermind. That was their big okay. iconic album. But that was also a little thing on there. Travis, you're not almost exact same age, right? Yeah, we're the same age. Yeah. There you go. Thank you, uh, Earth's Brew and Jonathan and Joe, for uh, that special offer. Everybody go take advantage of that, earthsbrew.com. Also, we are brought to you by Low T Nation. Frank, explain to everybody, uh, well, certainly the men, and I guess for that matter, the women who love them, uh, why it uh, is important to check that, uh, that T count and make sure that it's an elevated one and not a depleted one, and then how Low T Nation comes in. Well, like everything, the human body runs at an optimal, uh, area where you want to make sure that all your hormones and minerals and vitamins in your whole body are uh, at, their, at the correct level, not too high, not too low. Anytime you start exiting that green area, you're going to run into problems and have issues and a lack of health, well-being, uh, stamina, drive, focus. Uh, there's so many countless attributes to just having your you know hormones in the correct range when you're younger and as we age and we suffer through you know sporting injuries or just the wears and tears of life these things start to come down and the great thing about you know uh, brandon and uh, you know uh, uh, dr jason. weeks mm-hmm. jason um is that they're able to point you in the right direction get you the proper blood work so you're not just shooting blindly in the dark especially if you're you know i mean let's face it you see those guys in the gym you know you can probably go meet somebody in the locker room and get a hold of things that you you know but you're not you're just you're shooting in the dark man you have mm-hmm. no idea what you're doing uh it's so much better and, and more healthy to go about the proper way of, of, of hormone replacement therapy uh, by making sure in the first place if you need it by the proper blood work making sure that your general physician understands all the other things around it so you have a great support group going forward and then on top of that they make it as convenient as possible so not only are you educated on everything you have the right direction of where to go but then now they're able to uh, drop mail the uh, whatever supplements that you're going to need directly to your to your home so of utmost convenience you have access to what you need because once again not only is being in the right levels extremely important but consistency you wouldn't want to take anything and then have gaps of of, of uh, missing medication because then you're going to run into problems once again lowtnation.com it couldn't be any easier and uh every time uh, frank or myself talk to brandon we hear about more and more phone booth fighting listeners who are finding out that they are prime candidates for this i had no idea about that i had no idea that uh i mean they came in and educated us on it but i had no idea how many listeners uh were going to be affected by that and uh brandon says that uh you know every time we talk about it he he gets the phone calls that come in and he's a phone booth fighting listener just like yourself so uh let him know that's who you are and uh he's gonna give you the red carpet treatment lowtnation.com All right, Frank, let's get this show started. If you missed our last episode, I'll, I'll just uh, let everybody know 
We talked uh, exclusively and extensively about the tragic events of what happened here in Las Vegas over the weekend with the mass shooting. So if you're interested in our thoughts on that and for whatever reason you missed the last episode and you're wondering if we talked about it, we did at length uh, on our previous episode. So go back and listen to that, please. And thankfully, the number hasn't increased beyond 59. Yeah, exactly. It looks like uh, that, uh, I mean, I guess something somebody could have a lingering injury but at least hopefully with modern medicine that the fatality number I might do be actually have a off. question for our listeners I mean, yeah this is an opportunity that we're all at a bar right now you have a glass of water or right cranberry juice real I'll water have a beer mm-hmm. yeah you have a real water mm-hmm. um, i dumped a little earth brew packet there in there because well, i'm trying to be cool travis and i are actually drinking uh men's drinks now. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then uh i've seen through now social media a couple people uh posting things that you know, uh, thank God that I was saved or, you know, thank goodness. God is great. I haven't mm-hmm. seen one specifically where uh, one individual, uh, not calling on anybody directly, but, you know, God is great. You know, you know, God is awesome. He saved, you know, these two people or saved so-and-so or, you know, I made it through. And, and, I, and I feel very uncomfortable reading that mm-hmm. because I would just assume that, whether there is a God or not a God, that he had nothing to do with anything in this situation. Uh, because that statement that, you know, he saved me seems extremely narcissistic to me. Mm-hmm. You know, that God protected you, but then the other 59 people that perished yeah. and the over 500 that were injured, God didn't like them as much or wasn't there, you know what I mean? Like, so that's why, like, I'm not a religious person, mm-hmm. so maybe any of our listeners, and I'm and I'm and I'm I'm just more curious that like when I say those words, you know, what I mean, be like if you and I were sitting there in a, in a park and some maniac opened fire and killed you, I couldn't imagine telling Jennifer, oh, man, thank God, you know, he had something you know planned for me, I guess, because you know he decided to save my life. I couldn't imagine the look in her face, looking at me, going. Are you serious? You know, yeah. Richard's not here anymore, and you're yeah. going to talk about how God saved you. Yeah, they'd be real sorry of you. Maybe you could give her the line. Maybe you give her the old, God must have needed a podcaster. Maybe yeah. You do that one. Well, and I mean, and I know people try to do the whole God works in mysterious ways, and you don't understand mm. him. And but, uh, but I don't know, like celebrating that you survived because God has, you know, and God personally intervened and survived, helped you survive a situation where other people were not so lucky. Um, I don't know. It just seems strange. I, I, do you know what I mean? Like, even yeah. when I, like when I actually, there's one post, and again, I'll show you mm. when we're done. I'll be like, when I read it and I'm looking at it, I'm all, man, I, I didn't know anybody that perished, and I find that offensive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know. I think that a lot of times, I think when it's it's not meant maliciously, it's when people... People have such a, uh, I think a lot of times the scariest thing for a human is just to be able to say, I don't know. Why did that happen? I don't know. How did it happen? I don't know. What was that person thinking? I don't know. How come I lived and they didn't? Or, you know, I I don't know. And and I think it's as old as time itself. Yeah, yeah. And I think that a lot of times people just scramble for some sort of, and, and not only for people who survive, but even for family members of people who pass away, they want to go, okay, well, I guess that was just the plan. You know, that was, and, and I guess somehow that, that's, that's helping them. I, you, of course, you and I are but the same. But then I don't know, I don't you still say the plan, you say there's any kind of thought, cognitive 
control mm-hmm. or, or, or influence from an outside force, I think it start indicating that some people are better than others. Yeah. Whereas, like, if, if I were there that night and I had happened, you know, and, and I had survived, I think my thought would be, uh, it's blind luck. I'm no mm-hmm. better than anybody that perished. Yeah. Because in reality, no one is better than the next person. Yeah. So if the person next to you passed away and you lived, you're not special. God did not look after you. I don't think, unless you think that. I mean, that's why I, I guess that's my next question. Like, so you're special. Mm-hmm. Like the the people that passed away, they weren't special, mm-hmm. but you're special. You know, uh, you know I know, I, mean? I know. And and I think where that really becomes problematic is if if it was there was an acknowledgement from that same camp that that their God or their Creator was imperfect or fallible then okay. But on top of all that, they say that's not the case. They are perfect. They are infallible. They have complete control over everything at all times, any kind of way they want it. So then you get into the, okay, so this was all just allowed to happen? Well, yes, because then people have free will. It gets very, it's like a a cyclical conversation. And I agree with you. I think that because they try to have it both ways, all powerful and all knowing, that doesn't fit with a benevolent God at the same time. So yeah, you're right. But but I don't know, just again, just, you know, without getting too deep in the whole theology of it, the whole just thought process, I mean, I'm not even saying whether there is a God or not a God, but if you believe in God, some of those people, I'm like, so you really felt that God touched you, but I mean, with a little bit of deductive reasoning, that means at the same time you're saying that God didn't save those people. Mm-hmm. So he was capable of saving people because you're thanking him for his capability and his powers that he intervened on your behalf. Yeah. But then you have to sit there and basically acknowledge that he did not choose to intervene on these other individuals' lives. You know, so now you have 59 different people whose families now the holidays are completely destroyed their life is up on you know i can't imagine what they're going through besides complete and utter devastation and misery and just what a fucking horrible day to wake up to that you look over and whoever your loved one that is no longer there, it's not because of anything. I mean, because of the situation and, and I don't know, just, yeah. it's horrendous. And to sit there and be like, Whew, God must love me. Like, I'm just like, Holy shit, man. Did you really say that? And you actually posted that? Like, I know, I, I think, uh, and, and again, in, in the, maybe with the most benefit of the doubt I can offer here, I think a lot of times what people do is there's sort of fallbacks. Like there's just kind of things to, um, I'll give you an example. Like if somebody dies after a long terminal illness, what's something that people say a lot of times? Well, it's, I'm, I'm glad they're not in pain anymore, yeah. you know, and, and you may be, but that's also something you can immediately go to as kind of a source of comfort because you're trying right. to cope with the fact that they've died. This is, I think, in a way sort of like that for a conventionally religious person, because what they just go to is, you know, I, you ever hear this one? God doesn't give you anything you can't handle. You ever heard that one? I've heard That's that. a common one. So how does that help? Well, it helps when you're just feeling overwhelmed and you know so you want somebody to tell you that somebody intentionally put this on you because they know you can handle it. And really, that's, that, that confidence could be derived within yourself 
if you're self-confident enough, but you you fall into these sort of societal, cultural, religious patterns to do things like that. Now, I'll I'll tell you where it's even more troublesome than that to me, because at least with that, I think a lot of times when people are saying that, they're saying it. They're kind of making each other feel better yeah. about it, but they're not questioning it. And you again, know? I'm bringing this up, so if anybody's listening, I'm no. not arguing about this is not a discussion on whether there is a God or not a God and yeah. whose God is, if there is, who has it figured out, right? I'm just saying as a person, let's assume that there's a God and, mm-hmm. you know, Abrahamic version of, of, of you know, it's just a singular, you know, deity, um, you know, wow. Like, do you feel like... I wonder if they think about that. Like, I guess yeah. that's what I'm asking. Like, and if you do, then how do you resolve that? That that I shouldn't think you're an asshole for that statement. Yeah, you know what I mean, like, what 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 am I not getting right? And and I hope that's not actually the case. That it it is all playing out like that. Because I'll tell you something right now. If I found if I died and I found out there was an afterlife and I actually make it into heaven and all the rest of that and I'm having a conversation with this God and I find out that that is in fact 100% true what those people are saying and, and that God is like yeah yeah back what well what I was doing is you know I'm kind of picking this person and they they look like they could contribute more in the long run than this one over here so I let them go and I did that and, you know I'm basically picking winners and losers I'd be like are you kidding me you had the ability to stop all of this, and you just didn't do it. You think there's actually a, a, a positive to just letting? Believe me, he will get a piece of my mind. So I'm, I'm, I'm committing to that right now. But I think that a lot of times when people do this stuff, they don't. You know, it's funny. I think people like us who are not conventionally religious, it's in times of, of, of stress and fear and all the rest of that, that there are there are lots of people. It, it's a very strong-willed person who, even in those moments, doesn't doesn't fall uh, into the trap of okay, I'll I'll bargain my way out of this. If there is a God, I promise I'll do this. I won't do that. You know, and I kind of understand where that stuff comes from. But just think, if you've sort of been raised and conditioned and indoctrinated into all that your whole life, then that's definitely what you're going to go to. Probably just based on instinct. So, uh, but here's the one that bothers me more than that. It's funny we had not planned to uh, to talk about this, but um, since you brought it up, because this is the post that bothered me today that I saw, which is I'm I'm seeing your uh, your post and I'm raising you one. Is people who posted? Um, I, I I saw one today, and it was essentially you know. Um, uh, you know, bad guys are going to find ways to do evil. Evil's going to find a way to do evil uh, no matter what. And then it made this list. You know, Timothy McVeigh killed people with fertilizer. Adolf Hitler killed people with sarin gas. 9-11 hijackers with box cutters. And I'm up to that point, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, kind of typical pro-gun argument. I see where this is going. And then the last line of the meme was, the real problem is we're living in a godless society. And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. So basically the the old, you know, the old fear tactic of the fact that we're not uh, we we've distanced from God. He's he's uh, this vengeful uh God that's unleashing this wrath upon us. And boy, I sure do think differently about that than the people who post that kind of stuff because my first thought is Exactly what I said a second ago. If that was in fact the case, that 
that God's getting a piece of my mind if I ever run into him. Well, if he's all powerful. Like again, I mean, not, my thought is if he's all powerful and all knowing, that means God created you that way, mm-hmm. purposely made you be that way. You're right, right. All knew part you of the were going to do that sure. way, and then devised a punishment for you, anyways. I'm like, okay. I know. So, I know. I mean, not to you know freak anybody out, here. but anyways. No, like, it is. Like it's, I said, like I, my whole thing was let's just go with there is a God. You survive a situation. Are you really going to be ha- like? Do you feel like I don't know? Like it just, I don't know. yeah, it just blows my mind because I keep thinking about the, you know all the people that just lost their lives and just you know I, I can't imagine if you know I went to a concert and now I don't have Jennifer anymore I know. or one of my children or you know it's like you know I, I, and someone's like wow well, thank God that God helped me that bullet yeah. skip past me I'm like really are you serious I know so God wanted my wife or my loved one but didn't want yours I know. I think what it always comes back to is what I was saying a second ago, which is just people are so afraid to just be able to to just say, I don't know, yeah, yeah. and especially in a time like this. And you know what? I can't say – I will say this, and this is maybe how I can relate to them. I am – because I'm a, a logical person, and I like, okay, shortest distance from point A to point B, presented a problem to problem solution, I – can only imagine the the frame of mind I would be in if I had been directly affected by this where I want an answer. I want an explanation about this, you know, and to not get it would just be so maddening. And of course you're not going to get it because there's not going to be some rational explanation where you're like, Oh, okay. Now it makes total sense. But I could see the religious version of that, you know, and see in that way, I I'm, I would be, probably far more traumatized than the person who could just go to that faith indoctrination and go, okay, I'm hurt and I'm sad and I'm mad and I'm all the rest of that, but I have that faith and I know that there's some reason I don't understand this, but there's a reason for it. See, I can't even do that. Yeah, I know. know? I'm okay with not, I'm not okay with it, but I guess I'm okay with the answer of I don't understand something, I don't know, because I feel like I would rather not and admit that I don't understand something mm-hmm. because that's the first step in actually trying to understand something. I agree. Because yeah. if all of a sudden I go, well, how come I'm getting arm barred here? You're like, well, it's because you put on the wrong color underwear. I'm like, oh, okay. I just got to change my underwear and this guy can't arm bar me in this position. Yeah. Well, it's complete bullshit. Yeah. That would be a terrible premise to operate under right? for your so, next training camp. I would rather talk to somebody and like, go, Hey, why am I getting arm barred here? And if I'm asking you and you're like, Fuck, I don't know. Well, then now all of a sudden it's like, well, well, shit, let's break this down. Break out the videotape. Do we have anything similar to the yeah. situation? Do we know anybody who knows how to get out of this position? Well, you know, hey, let's call Robert up. Yeah, let's get Robert in here. You know what I mean? All right, hey, Drysdale, well, why are we getting armbar? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. But if you sat there and you gave me the answer, mm-hmm. you know, to anything, and it's not the right answer, you've actually, that's actually so much worse because you've stunted my ability to grow. Mm-hmm. It'd be like if we still believe that spirits caused diseases. Well, what the fuck? We wouldn't have invented penicillin then, right? Like yeah. we would still be thinking like, well, you just keep the window closed so the evil spirits don't get in here and you know what I mean? You got to make sure we, you know, you know, yeah. you know, we use some sage to clear the room of any bad mojo and then hopefully that way after we you know, you're like, no, actually if you wash your fucking hands before you do surgery on so and so, we're going to cut down deaths by like 40%. You're like, "Oh, no, 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 man. You just got to believe in this little totem here. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so, like, if people still believe in the wrong thing, then we don't search out the right thing instead of going, fuck, I don't know. 
And, you know, that is why, thankfully, uh, in a situation like this, while um, uh, clergy may be uh, helpful to people who are believers in a moment like this of providing emotional support, the the FBI profilers and the <laughs> investigators and the people who are looking at this aren't saying, well, this must have all been part of the grand plan. Yeah. They're going, they're looking at profiles, habits, uh, past examples, yeah. exactly all Trying the things they're saying. Out. That's yeah. another thing, too, that uh, actually uh, one of uh, James is like, hey, are you hearing about all this stuff about a second shooter and this and that? Yeah, no. and, and And I'm open ears to anything that people think that there's more information out there. But then, uh, you know, like right now, I'm just kind of wondering, like, you know, that's one thing I asked him. And he even... And because James has the same brain I do, and not we do, he just says, fuck, I don't know, I'm just, I'm hearing this, I'm uh-huh. passing it on, what do you think? I'm like, well, why would they hide the fact there was a second shooter? Yeah. Like, I mean, you have all these, you know, FBI and Metro, because at first I think, okay, if something's the cause, or the case in a situation, then like, okay, well, I, you know, you know, not the what, and then well, what's the why? You know, and then mm-hmm. we can start getting into the how, and the, you know, but it's like, okay, well, well, why would we hide the fact that there was multiple shooters like I don't know, like what's the you know I mean what's the end game well, on that? You know, I, I, I think besides people just mistrust the media, and then the other thing, and the only thing I told him, I'm like, well, come on, man. I mean, you know, let's think about it. If there was a second shooter and they wanted to keep it tight, like so everybody in Metro and all the FBI agents and mm-hmm. all the first responders and the, and the, whoever engineers from Mandalay Bay that had to fix the windows real quick within three hours before, like they're all in on it and no one's going to talk. Like, I mean, come on, man. When's the last time you shared a secret with 30 other people and people didn't find out about it? Like, I mean, humans inherently, I hate to break the news to everybody, but like that's the problem with conspiracy theories on my point of view is that like, so we're going to trust that a group of people are going to keep this a secret? Yeah. I call bullshit. It ain't going to happen, man. I mean, I've been in too many fucking camps where even you think, you know, it's like, hey, so-and-so's injured. I'm like, yeah, you know, I've known injuries of my opponents. You know, I'm like, how'd you find out? I'm like, because you got injured in a, uh, in a gym. Yeah. Trust me. Someone told their buddy who told their girlfriend, who told the guy she's banging on the side, who got on the internet and was talking, you know what I mean? Like it just information, just, you know, human beings are inherently awful secret keepers. I think the, the, the problem with the, the conspiracy theory being so in vogue right now is that now what you're having is the, the way it used to be is the reason conspiracy theories would would rise is because over time there would be a lot of chatter about it. There'd be enough comparing notes. There'd be enough suspicious right. circumstances over time. Kennedy assassination is the perfect one. That's what I actually find about that. I yeah. really think there's a lot more to that story. But I agree. I, I agree. And and that's an example of one where, yes, over time, over the decades, different investigations. And I told you my personal look, Flight 93. Uh, no. That, the Flight 93, the one they made the movie about. That, yeah. That, you know, Crashed in the field right. in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, I think it was And when called. I heard that, I was like, okay. But then I found out that immediately they they bulldozed it within like, it was like 36 hours or something. Uh-huh. They basically just cemented the whole thing like they made a memorial. I'm like, wait a uh-huh. minute. So like the bodies, the, no, no, we just all just, just, just you know what I mean? Like, let's get it. And I was like, well, that, that, that sounds awfully suspicious that. We don't want to, you know, I mean. Are every, you sure about that? The people didn't get, like, the families didn't yeah, you know get what, their Maybe remains? I'm passing false information. You know what? Let me look into that because that yeah. might be, before I stand on that, I may be wrong. Yeah. You know what what you mean? can do, Frank Marish, you can go to Infowars.com. No. We've got the no. documents. But you know what? I'm certainly As glad I'm you brought up that, this false flag information. 
Yeah, but you know what? I'll go ahead and tonight I'll go ahead and research a little bit better before I stick to something because Travis, Travis. Because I mean, he, actually, Travis, when I first Travis. read about that was what two thousand, uh, you know, yeah, not two thousand one. I didn't really uh, fuck. I didn't own the internet. I didn't have a <laughs> Travis giggles when I do my Alex Jones. He likes it. Sometimes right? I call him up late and I talk to him as Alex Jones. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, so I, uh, but before that, uh, I've always felt that we shot that one out of the sky. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which I understand. Well, and that there could be like a safety reason for that. No, at that totally. point they realize everybody's under attack. Then they also realize that's not going to play real no, well. No, it's going to be a pretty bad that. PR. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. So, so I'm with you. I'm not opposed to talking about things, exploring things. But I hear the, what I was going to say is now that it's become so in vogue and like a lot of other things, a big business, I mean, you can do a good business. You, Frank, you can, uh, you can make quite a comfortable living off of uh, conspiracy theories. Take it from me. Uh, is that now everybody immediately looks for the conspiracy theory. See, and that's where I think it's turned upside down. It's not, well, you wait for there to be a bunch of smoke so you can consider a fire. Now it's you're instantly looking for that kind of stuff. And, and in the case of the other night, that was, you know, born out of this idea that uh, uh, there were some reflective images off a giant, shiny gold building on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, and that, uh, yeah, and that, that for some reason there was gunfire coming out of a different window and then they would have patched that up real quick before anybody would have noticed. You're going to have to give me a whole lot more information than that before uh, we get we get into that. But let's uh, let's bring everything back to reality for a second on that, though, because I uh, probably should have mentioned this at the very top of the show, but uh, what, of course you're still hanging with us. This is a riveting conversation. Nobody drops off on phone booth fighting. Uh, on Tuesday night, so that is going to be, what is the actual date? It's, it's Wednesday third. night as we tape. Uh, so Tuesday's the fourth, yes, there's the third, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. What is this coming Tuesday night? It's the 10th. Uh, on October 10th, uh, we are going to do a fundraiser here in Las Vegas for the, uh, the, the Las Vegas Shooting Victims Fund. If you can pull that up, Travis. What we're going to do is we're going to do a live presentation of phone booth fighting on stage at the L.A. Comedy Club inside the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino at 6 p.m. We're teaming up with uh, my brother in comedy, uh, Butch Bradley, the hilarious Butch Bradley, who has a 10 o'clock residency over there. This was his idea, by the way. He called me up today and asked if you and I would be in on it. And since I'm like your second wife anyway, I did what your first wife does and went ahead and committed for both of us. Um, But... um, we're going to be on stage. Butch will be on stage. There's going to be some comedy. There's going to be some podcasting, some stories. It's going to be fun. I mean, we're doing it for a, a, a serious, worthwhile cause and obviously tragic circumstances, but but we're, we're really going to have a good time uh, Tuesday evening here in Las Vegas. So if you're, if you're a local or if you're going to be in town or even if you just know somebody in Las Vegas, tell them to come on out, and it's going to be a great opportunity to raise money for the Las Vegas Victims Fund. That fund, by the way, we've got it pulled up here on the uh, – monitor if you're watching on our phone booth fighting youtube channel uh was started by uh steve sisolak who's uh on, one of the uh county commissioners i think he's the chairman of the county commissioners and uh they have raised look at this uh nine million ninety two thousand nine hundred forty seven dollars which is awesome but, but don't uh kid yourself there is going to be a lot 
okay. a lot, a lot, a lot of expenses for these people because y- you don't have insurance against this kind of thing happening to you. Hopefully, you've got health insurance and all that kind of thing. But I mean, just horrible as it sounds, even just starting with funeral cost is astronomical. And then all of the, I mean, some of these people that have been fortunate enough to well, survive. They don't have life this insurance, thing, yeah. There's that, yeah. But but how many people do? I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who don't. Yeah. Well, you do, but you're you're a you're a walking time bomb, so you probably should. But uh, do you know I finally got life insurance on Mrs. Mayor? Uh oh. You just did that. See, don't tell me that. Then I get subpoenaed and I have to under oath. And okay, now here's the thing. At first, I never got life insurance for Jennifer. Yeah. Because I thought it would look weird. Sure. Like you know, okay, well, she doesn't make any money. I mean, she doesn't provide actual income into the household, right? And so if you caught her covered and say something ever freaky happened. So I had an old insurance guy that told me that because at first, like, but then the more I thought about it, I'm like, hold on, man. You're right. My wife might not directly put money in my bank account, our bank account, mm-hmm. but she has a support role as the mother of my children, as my wife. She runs the household that if Mrs. Mir were to pass away tomorrow, I'm not going to work for a little while. You know, you think mm-hmm. also I'm going to tell the kids, all right, kids, funeral services on Sunday, and then dad has to take off to go to the ACB. I'll have, you know, you know, Britta's going to watch it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, life's going to come to a screeching halt for quite a while. Yeah. And especially if I had a fight scheduled. I mean, who goes and fights after their wife passes away? Yeah. So that's why now I have her insured, because obviously I'm going to, you know, probably take a hiatus for an extended period of time to, you know, support my children to get through this obvious, be a very traumatic experience yeah. going to work. And the unless you're screwed, you're in a situation where you have no choice, but to have to go to work. But ideally, you know, if something traumatic were to happen. Hopefully, you know, you're in a situation and that's what insurance life insurance allows you to do is to, I feel like I should get sponsored by them. now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think something else. I mean, you think about like, also, the people, what I was going to say, the people who survived this, the long-term care they're going to have. I mean, some oh, of these yeah. people could have medical bills for the rest of their lives, you know, things that affect them. Well, and again, the, like, you happened. know, you're right, you know, to be able to support some of these families, because, you know, if someone's, let's say their husband, you know, passed away, mm-hmm. they're not going back home right now to go resume their work, their, yeah. their career. You know, they might, you know, I mean, as cold-hearted as it would seem, there are some employers that might let go some of these individuals that aren't making it back to work, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially if it's psychological reasons. I, I don't know the premise if you can sue your, you know, them for that. But at the same time, I mean, if you have a small business and you need to replace somebody, you know, I don't think you can be held ransom to have to keep someone on staff that isn't able to make it to work. Yeah. There has to, there's probably, you know, I, again, I don't know, somebody who understands litigation on that area of workforce. Well, you know what? I mean, I, let me just, I'll just give you another example. You know, you were talking about you and Jennifer, and you know, you get life insurance on her. But, but as horrible as this would be, imagine the two of you guys were at that concert. Both you, you yeah. passed. She survives. Now, what's the financial situation? You see what I'm saying? I mean, I know there's life insurance, but but yeah. you know, I mean, no, I mean, I mean uh, there yeah. would be there's instant. A, there, actually, what, what I'm actually to, I'm worth a lot more passed away than she is. You know, so. yeah. But what I'm trying to say is, there are people there whose lives have been upended in a way. I mean, we all we all notice the obvious way, which is the tragedy of what happened. But I'll bet if we could see right now what. 500 and something people are going through, plus all the families that lost the love. I'll bet there's things that we're not even 
thinking about no. that we go, oh well, my God, right. I didn't think about that. Well, one of the, you're gonna have to the young ladies that. that I that I was reading about, you know, she lost her eye. Um, mm. She's in a coma. They had to, you know, open up a part of her skull oh, to yeah. relieve uh, because yeah. the brain's swelling. Well, holy shit, you know, like thankfully, you know, the family still has her that she's alive. Um, but what's the quality of her life? How long are they yeah. going to have to stay here? So you're telling me that her family is going is went to work on Tuesday? Just that, yeah, exactly. They're, they're probably sitting around, and yeah. then it's like, well, you know, you know, people live most commonly in this country paycheck to paycheck. So yep. you have people that's like, okay, well, how are you going to pay for your hotel room or your travel or your food? How are you eating right now? You yep. know, and and you know, uh, that's a very real. Because I mean, who really in our society in, in the U.S. is really prepared that all right, the shit can hit the fan, and I got nine months of of uh, of mortgage payments, car payments, you know, that I can live now off of. I mean. Unless you make a lot of money, if you are a very traditional middle income individual, I don't know that many people that do, you know? No, no, most people. And and you just said another thing, you know, the number of people that, that have to stay here for an extended period of time if they've got a loved one hospitalized, because a lot of people did not live, that came, to, that went to this. We're from out of state, yeah. You know, as is the way in Las Vegas a lot of times. So now all of a sudden, you know, you were expected to be back to work in Montana on Monday, and you're going to be, you know, basically living out of a suitcase until you can take your loved one home. Yeah, I mean, you probably came in for a weekend. Oh, what? I mean, you have a little, uh, an overnight bag. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, clothes, clothing, I mean, something as basic as that. Yeah. Food. Yeah, Something I mean, as basic as that. I mean, even if you have four or five different outfits with you, I mean, just the dumbest things you know, that know. people could think about. It's like, well, are you going to get your shirt cleaned? I mean, the laundromat's not free. You yeah, know I mean? right, like, right. You know, uh, to and from transportation, like, did you have a rental car? Yeah. Well, you were supposed to turn that rental car in on Monday. Yeah, basic or, resources. Know, like, yeah, just there's so many things that, you know, yeah. that that's why this is a good thing, the financial aspect of it. Yeah. I do wonder one thing, though, mm -hmm. because of our GoFundMe, I understand how it works yeah. about GoFundMe gets a percentage. I wonder if GoFundMe, because of the situation that it is, if they're really going to take their percentage. It's a good question. I would hope not. Yeah, I would think that um, that, I mean, and if they are, I hope that I'm bringing that up to light because yeah. that would be, <laughs> yeah, you know what? real quick, it's like, do you really want to financially gain yeah, that's from a good, this situation? Sure, that's a good question for Steve Sisolak. So uh, uh, maybe we can reach out to him and find out about that. But uh, I would think that they would go ahead and just waive their yeah, fee this time you would or just basically so. cover whatever expenses the few hundred dollars that it well, takes it, for accounting to pay some yeah. guy to, you know. Well, what I was going to say is because that's, you know, the, the nice thing about this it, too. It's 5%, right? About that. It was 9% yeah. if you don't hit your goal. That's right, yeah. And then it goes to 5% after you've hit your goal. Yeah. So, I mean, 5% right now of $9 million. I know. Um, I don't think they need that. No. And I don't think it would be very right to take it. Well, we could find out about that, I'm sure. There, uh, uh, But, you know, it's it, the nice thing is, oh, wait, Frank is... Uh, the support for this campaign has been extraordinary, and donors have been under have had understandable questions about GoFundMe's fees. GoFundMe has committed significant resources to the management and distribution of these funds in the most ethical, effective, and timely way. They have also donated one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, they're donating one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, but I would go ahead and donate one hundred fifty grand and make five percent off of uh, nine million. That's not that heroic. Uh, okay. Well, we'll are they basically saying that? Screw you, we're going to keep the money because of the resources. Well, no, that's not what I just read. What I that read was it seemed like to be more they were concerned about how the money is going to be distributed. We've been in touch with GoFundMe since the beginning, and they have been 
a trusted partner from the moment this campaign launched. The support for this campaign has been extraordinary, and donors have had understandable questions about GoFundMe's fees. Right. GoFundMe has committed significant resources to the management distribution of these funds in the most ethical, effective, and timely way, and they've also donated $150,000. Well, I don't know. We're going to have to. No, no, that, that is saying, Travis, they're uh, keeping the percentage. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. A hundred percent, because they're saying right there, uh, there's support. Hold on. We have been going beginning for the support of this campaign has been extraordinary. The donors have understandable questions about GoFundMe's fees. People have asked the same question that I'm asking. Yes. Are they going to take five percent? Their answer to that question is. GoFundMe has committed significant resources. Like we've worked very hard and managed the distribution of these funds in the most ethical and effective and timely way. So we're working for this, and we donated 150 grand. They are nowhere there because if they were waiving their fee, that's what you say. We're waiving our fee, or we're only going to take. You know, we're only going to recoup whatever costs it took for us to have to run this. Yeah. Which whether they run something that costs. That makes nine million or nine hundred thousand. It's still just accounting and. Well, I'll tell you. I tell you what we'll do. What is that? Hold on, real quick. What is five percent? You know, uh, what is that? Uh, nine hundred thousand. I don't. I, I've I've never no, had no, to. That's uh, four hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, because ten mm-hmm. percent would be. I've I've never had to do the math on million dollar payday. Frank, so that's right your now department. that's four hundred fifty thousand dollars <laughs> that they're making. And they donated 150, so they're keeping. So basically, that's what it costs well, to run the thing. But let me say this too: this thing has grown. I mean, they. That, I think that when I first looked at this, it had a three or a four million dollar goal, and they met that, and they upped it. So that might have been the initial donation. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe they made more money than they realized they were going to. Maybe GoFundMe at the very beginning went, okay, well here we're donating 150 grand based on your $3 million goal or your $4 million goal, and now it's grown. Let's do this. before we. I still think that it would be a very good thing for GoFundMe. No, I agree. I'm with you for that. So let's <laughs> I do think this. It just, the fact that they're not yeah. saying it means that they are taking a percentage, and the yeah. fact they're taking a percentage off of this. All right. We're going to get to the bottom of it. We're, we're going to find out from GoFundMe if they're taking their percentage. And one way or another, we will relay the uh, Yeah, because that, was, that was a very uh, politician type of reply. Okay. All right, we'll find out. I'll call Steve Sisolak's office tomorrow and uh, get an answer for this. But uh, here's what you can do to help. Uh, Again, if you're going to be in town Tuesday night, October 10th, 6 p.m., Stratosphere Hotel and Casino, the L.A. Comedy Club, Frank and I will be on stage with a live broadcast of Phone Booth Fighting. Comedian Butch Bradley is going to be out there. We're getting some of our other comedian friends involved. We're also going to do uh, some raffles. Uh, so, uh, your what we're going to do is a suggested donation at the door. Uh, Butch yeah. and I were talking about it earlier. And you know, to make it clear, we're making zero. Zero. Yeah. We are not taking anything. Every we're not going to talk this. about how much work we're going to do to get this done. We're not talking about the effort and ethical way of doing. It. We're just saying, pretty much flatly. Yes, we're doing. We're 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 going to we're going to profit zero. Right? No, absolutely. Any if if a dollar comes into our hands, that dollar is going. Uh, to the Victims Relief Fund. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be on stage uh, doing this, and there's going to be a suggested donation at the door. The reason we wanted to make it a suggested donation is we don't want that to stop anybody from coming out. I mean, even if you've got, you know, 
10 bucks to you know maybe uh i mean it'd be nice if everybody could maybe kick in a 20 or something like that at the door but let's say you don't say you don't have that so you get to that's okay too come on out maybe just buy a couple of raffle tickets or something because no. we'll have those on sale well, you anything know, I, will I, help. I do like that better because i think everybody else is the best you know auditor of themselves and understands what they can and, and you give what you can yeah absolutely you know, so i mean whether it's a buck yeah. Or, you know, for whatever reason, you've done very well that month and you have $100. Yep. I mean, yep. it's on you, whatever you feel is appropriate. And I like that because yeah. I think, you know, and then also, too, if you screw the system, you know, it's kind of like when you're, you know, when you're younger and the people would put the candy out and say, be honest, you know. Oh, yeah. On your honor. And, and, it's, and I'm, you know, pleasantly always surprised that uh, people are better than what, you know. I know everybody keeps talking about the, like, this world's gone to hell in a handbasket, and, and I've had this conversation several times now. Everybody's like, oh, what a piece of shit world. I'm like, hold on a second. Let's just really break this down. We had one son of a bitch on Sunday night who's a complete fucking scumbag, obviously, right? But, I mean, we have hundreds of people. You had one guy that, you know, stole a truck running in yeah. and out, you know, so that he can transport bodies. How many first responders, how many people were running not away from gunfire, but into the gunfire to save lives. So, I mean, so you want to tell me the world's bad. It's like, not really. I think more people are good than assholes. Oh, I agree with I mean, that. We have our assholes. We have our yeah. evil motherfuckers. But, and, 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 and sad, and, 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 and the sad truth of it is that assholes cause a lot more attention than the, yeah. the good guy. The hero is just not, you know, usually is, a, you know, there's a reason why it's an unsung hero. There's not the unsung asshole. You know mm-hmm. I mean? like, no, the, the, you know, and the nice part about that is, is as horrific as the video is that's coming out and all that, you're starting to see proof of exactly what you're talking about, yeah. video proof. I mean, there was a there was new video uh, tonight, and what, what stuck in my mind about this video, now what you're seeing is, uh, what you're uh, seeing is it's um, uh, people who are, Probably at that point, free and clear, uh, or well on their way to being free and clear of the danger because it's not in the direction that the gunman was aiming. Uh, they're basically headed south down the strip, right? But I saw, for example, people who were basically at that point out of harm's way, even though they didn't know exactly what was going on. And there's, you know, a woman laying on the ground because she tripped or, you know, maybe broke her ankle or something like that because she got knocked over. And people are stopping and helping her. I mean, even that, you know, when when bullets are flying, the fact that that somebody, yeah. I mean, that that moment you go, even if you had it in your head, oh, that's terrible. Any other time I would stop and help that lady, but bullets are flying. No, you just stop and go, okay, well, I got to pick this person. We're not leaving anybody behind, essentially. I got to pick this person up, you know? Yeah, I mean, you even just hear in the voices of people, whether they're saying, get down. Yeah. I mean that's you helping everybody else around you. I mean, and human beings have different strengths and weaknesses i don't expect some 90 year old you know pound 90 year old to try to drag me off of the pavement but you've seen people doing what they could to help each other out i mean it's i mean we'll never probably get through all the stories of heroism that occurred on sunday night but that's why i don't want to repeat that asshole's name i don't want to make him famous whatsoever more than just just another you know let him just become another murderer Mm -hmm. you know that's you know he's just another mass murderer nothing special nothing different you mm-hmm. know and, and no no uh, immortality for him because there's too many heroes that we're gonna not ever get to hear and say their names mm-hmm. yep yeah i completely agree if you're uh, if you can't be here with us you're gonna see the uh post in the next couple of days uh for the fundraiser that we're doing that's going to be on our social media repost it share it uh definitely let somebody know if you know somebody that lives in las vegas uh you can help out that way just help us spread the word because we've only got like 
four or five days to promote this thing. It's going to be very short notice. But as Butch said to me on the phone earlier today, he's like, I just want to do something sooner rather than later because, you know, it's it's top of mind right now. And the other nice thing about it, too, Well, we is, can do it sooner and later. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, no, we mean, can, instead of yeah. holding off, I mean, my thought is, yes, let's do something now. Yeah. But, you know, look, like you alluded to just, you know, a few minutes ago, some of these people's medical costs are going to be outrageous you yeah. know and and i would hate to see that somebody is injured like this this is you know if we can get together and help people out where they were just you know just unlucky victims that mm-hmm. there was no rationale behind it and mm-hmm. um you know they might need help six months from now they might need help again for a year from now i mean there was first responders during the 9-11 situation that are still dealing with some of the health effects of you know the inhalation of, of, of smoke and whatnot and all mm-hmm. the different chemicals and still suffering you know you know 15 years later you know i mean so who knows so you're right we sooner i like but it doesn't mean that it doesn't have to also be later no and they shouldn't be forgotten so we need to it's something we need to stay and you know here's the thing living in las vegas uh, I don't think we could avoid it if we wanted to. I mean, I think it's something we are going to be oh, reminded of. This is the place I was born. To think about, yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. can't imagine. Man, it is. It's been really lately. Like you know, I've always been kind of a a more vigilant individual than probably the average guy. I'm always, you know, and people kind of tease me sometimes in our group that you know, why do you carry that? Why mm-hmm. do you you know worry about this? I'm like, eh, you know, you never know. And and sure enough, you know, I remember always, you know. My thought has always been like, well, fuck, man, Vegas, we crowd together so much. I mean, that's yeah. one of the reasons why no one sees me down on the strip during New Year's. I've always said, I'm like, man, if you're up to no good, we are just fish in a barrel right here. You know mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And if the initial shot doesn't hit you, the stampede of individuals trying to escape mayhem will probably, you know, it could do you in as just as deadly. And, uh, and sure enough, some asshole finally, you know, put that together in his head and took advantage of the fact of a group of people all bunched together and you know and, and that's not going to really change mm-hmm. i mean unless we stop doing concerts and in and, and, and events i mean fights there's many times that people you know are no going to trust get together. me the, the in in the day and age of, of general global overcrowding as it is uh, let alone the way we are here in Las Vegas, it is not a practical solution to just say we're going to spread everybody out more. No, it doesn't just, work that way. And then, I mean, I understand the prevention. Um, hopefully, you know, and I, and I saw that now we're trying to scan and, you know, uh, uh, you know, and check people's, you know, suitcases and, 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 and uh, which I don't know, man. That, does that seem just kind of odd to you? It's like, I mean, I understand this is an isolated incident with this guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to be naive, but I mean, how just, many thousands of people fly into yeah. Vegas every day th- that aren't doing anything bad? So, I mean, the idea, like, I don't know. It's like sometimes even with, like the planes, like to me, it's like, you know, the whole honest thing. Like to me, scanning people on x-ray, you know, your baggage is like, oh, by the way, did you forget that you left this in your bag? That you shouldn't yeah. have on the plane. But as far as like the bad guy that wants to get it on the plane, it's like. I don't know. I know, like you know, like now trying to scan everybody's the inconvenience of what they're doing to the practicality of actually stopping somebody. Yeah, it's like, well, how many millions of people are on the strip, you know, each year, and just one guy did this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, and can we, through all this hyper vigilance of of what they're trying to do, really is that really going to prevent? I mean, are they really thinking there's somebody else going to come after him? I, I don't know. I, 
Well, I mean, or they're just doing it for psychological. I've always felt that some of these things, and that's why I guess it's like, well, it's not practical; it's psychological. Mm-hmm. You're just doing this to make everybody feel the illusion of safety, which, but it's not really there. Well, I don't know. I mean, I I, I think that it's 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 going to be debatable as the months progress, as far as what approaches can be taken that are going to be practical. But I also think it's going to be important to continue to talk about, and and we, again, if you didn't listen to our last episode, we covered all of this at length. But practical solutions, like, I mean, we both agreed uh, on the last episode that things like the... uh, the, the the bump stock that you're hearing yeah, so and, much and about. Actually, it's funny since away. we talked about that episode. Yeah. Now more people have posted. I've got to read about it. Yeah, that's legal because yeah. it's not considered a fully automatic weapon. Right. The definition of fully automatic means that when I pull the trigger, mm-hmm. several rounds hit mm-hmm. down off of the same trigger pull. But because of the way a crank trigger crank works and where the bump stock works, it's just allowing you to basically pull that trigger at a faster than humanly capable rate Mm -hmm. so it's still shooting semi-automatic but now you're shooting 90 rounds and 10 to 15 seconds which no human you know i mean i guess you can i mean i've seen people you know you know we've messed around with a handgun and you can shake your Mm -hmm. finger on it and and get rounds down range quickly but basically that's what it's simulating is that vibration of multiple trigger pulls per second uh to me like why are those fucking legal like holy shit i mean and i'm a gun guy i like firearms that serves no purpose to me whatsoever it's not going to be practical for a self-defense situation uh you know because really you're going to kill the bad guy and you're going to fucking shoot the whole neighborhood up i mean so you're going to kill little you know johnny sleeping next door because you can't fucking control your spray uh it's stupid i mean and so the fact that bump stocks and trigger cranks are not illegal i think we look stupid i think as a gun person if you're going to argue that those things should be allowed you give us toward now we look like fucking idiots so when we try to argue something that is intelligent going hey you know i do have a situation why i think having an assault rifle in my house is a practical and not an unrealistic request for me to have i like the idea that i can defend my home with it it's multi i can use it to hunt if i needed to it's it's, it could be used very uh uh you know in in multiple different ranges of as a tool Mm -hmm. right but so then maybe somebody who's very anti-gun, I could have a conversation with them because I'm willing to give and take on certain topics. But the minute you tell me you think bump stocks and cranks and having a 90-round magazine is your right to have because of the fucking Second Amendment, but bro, you're I don't know. I, I think that you're going to get people just to tune out on you. You're making a very- Now the yeah. other end of the fucking aisle is going to sit there and go- Nope. you know, you really are going to argue that that's acceptable. Yes, you know, I should be have the right to have a fucking machine gun. It's mm-hmm. like, no, dude, like... <laughs> You're making a great point because you want to be taken seriously. Yeah. And, and you know, when you when you look at something like that and you break it down, you go, okay, this thing, this, this bump stock can have two purposes. Uh, for non-evil purposes, it's for having fun with at the gun range. That's it. And for evil purposes, it's for mowing down 600 people. Okay. Uh, to eliminate one, we have to eliminate both. Yeah. Sorry, you got to come up with a different toy for the gun range. Is yeah, that too much to ask? No, That's not, not too much to not ask. Not at all. Because, I mean, 
and if you're telling me that you know it, it has any practical self-defense things, I'll be like, really? Then please, if we have anybody who's a professional operator, you know, gunslinger, a real life fucking badass that goes overseas and he does, you know, you know, executive protection, and you carry a bump stock as part of your your toolkit. Then, for the love of God, let me know why. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, explain it to me, because then I'm ignorant. Because I'm assuming from the, the the individuals that I'm friends with that do make a living with a weapon, protecting other people and killing bad guys. I've never heard of any of them, and I've never seen any of their setups when we go out to go shooting. Not one of them has ever brought out a bump stock or a trigger crank or any kind of of a device that allows their weapon to shoot faster than they can pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. None of them, not mm-hmm. one. I haven't seen it yet. I mean, and and I know that you shouldn't always base every assumption off of your own personal experience. That could be a you know a logical uh, fallacy there that I'm I'm pointing out. But I've gone shooting quite enough that you know I would think that well, I would catch wind. And if I'm wrong, let somebody who our listeners tell me tell me I'm dumb. That well, there's a practical purpose for this besides what you're saying because that's all it's for is it's fun to shoot shit at the desert. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I get it. You know what I mean? But you're right. There's a lot of things that are fun. I like fucking driving motorcycles 200 miles an hour. I get that that's not what I can do unless I go on a closed track mm-hmm. because of the damage I could cause to another human being. So my fun to want to take a Jixer going, you know, 190 down the 215 doesn't outweigh someone else's right to live because the chances of me fucking slamming into the side of somebody and I'm a fucking human torpedo, mm-hmm. it's like, well, but I want to have fun. It's like, well, you know what? Sometimes we don't get to fucking do what we want to do all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, and, and getting back to the idea of the trained professional, you never, to, to, to co-sign on your point, you never see one of those people say, how can I modify my weapon to make it less accurate? No, that's that's actually no, like the said, antithesis of what they're down, trying and, and, to do. In fact, because you know, obviously, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, Travis and let, let's go shooting one of these weekends. We're back. We can go down to the seven hundred two range where they have. We'll rent a fully automatic weapon, and I'll have you shoot it in fully automatic, and then I'll let you fucking. We'll sit in single action, and this, and we'll do the same distance from the target, and we'll see how many more rounds you could put on a very large target. In semi-automatic over fully automatic, mm-hmm. and you'll be your trust me. As bad as you think you're going to do, you're going to do worse. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to hit shit, mm-hmm. you know. So it's not a practical weapon besides just causing mayhem. Yeah. All right. I like it. Uh, should we talk a little fights? Yeah, let's get. We there. should do that. Uh, we've got a fight uh, coming up this very weekend. As a matter of fact, UFC two or two one six two sixteen right here in Las Vegas. As a matter of fact, uh, it is. Uh, it's got two title fights on the card. Uh, the first of which, the main event, is going to be an interim lightweight title fight between uh, top contenders Tony Ferguson. And Kevin Lee, El Kukai versus the Motown Phenom. Um, Tony Ferguson, Frank, is on a nine-fight winning streak. He's only lost once in the UFC. That was to Michael Johnson back in 2012. And uh, he has had 13 fights overall in the UFC. Kevin Lee is on a five-fight win streak with a nine-and-two record in the UFC. And I'll tell you what's exciting to me about these guys matching up is uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, uh, I think they're evenly matched, like about an equal number of uh, submissions. Ferguson's got seven. Lee's got eight. 
uh, Ferguson has, you know, it's always exciting to me too when a fighter is known to uh, sort of master a particular uh, hold, and uh, Tony Ferguson is known for that Darsh choke. He's won a lot of fights that way. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on the on the fight? Uh, I'm a little biased a little bit just because well, you know, it's kind of hard because I, I like Tony Ferguson a lot. Mm-hmm. Kevin Lee trains, you know, he does his jiu-jitsu and stuff over there with uh, Drysdale. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Kevin Lee is an extremely likable guy too, and I can see how hard he works. Um I think it's going to be a tough, explosive fight. Both these guys fight hard and they fight skilled. There's no blurring real weaknesses in either one of them. Uh, uh, you know, I think sometimes Tony Ferguson could make himself a little bit harder to hit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that kind of that bothers me that he does. That he seems to take abuse. Oh, unnecessary abuse. You're saying um, he could make himself harder to hit than he does. Yeah, you know, I yeah. feel like a little bit more movement and stuff, you know, on his feet, but that being said, you just you know, he it almost like kind of as much as I don't like to see it, I think it kind of works in his favor because guys sometimes get discouraged that they, you know, they're landing shots right. on him and he's still just coming forward. Right. Uh, you know, uh but I've seen him hurt and stunned a couple times where, you know, and then he's fought back and shown that he has a courageous heart. So, uh, you know, I, I think there's as, as, as great of a fighter as he is, there's an opportunity for a smart fighter to, you know, to uh, uh, take advantage of those things but not kill themselves trying to uh, finish him. Ke- Kevin Lee said this week that uh, in terms of Tony Ferguson's wins that, he, that Tony Ferguson could have, Easily, very well lost a, a few of those fights that he ended up winning because they were wars and they were closely contested and he was in trouble at times. Now, Kevin Lee is using that as a rationale for, hey, maybe that uh, nine-fight win streak was you know seriously in jeopardy at times and, and that shows some weaknesses. I think there's also another way of looking at it going – it, it, these weren't even nine cakewalks that there were sometimes you saw this guy tested yeah. and he's that gritty and maybe that yeah. speaks to the the frustration that an opponent can feel when they feel like they've got him on the ropes and yet still can't finish him and then end up losing yeah um i think that uh you know uh if they get into a war i think that ferguson has shown too many times that that's where he likes to live yeah i think that he even just you know that's you can tell that he's very comfortable with wars because his style hasn't improved to help him avoid those you know whenever you see somebody have a problem in a certain area if they don't like it they'll probably make an adjustment in their style to try to avoid being put there mm-hmm. for example tony takes a lot of shots on his feet but you still haven't really seen him improve his head movement right mm-hmm. kind of the same head movement because i don't think that it bothers him to be in those wars and I think that's actually a very scary attribute that he possesses that he likes going to some places that other people feel very uncomfortable and he's able to survive it, you know, yeah. and, and flourish there. Uh, but I think if, for, you know, Kevin Lee, if he were to fight very smart and without emotion and go, okay, you know what, I'm not going to allow ourselves to get into war. I'm just going to keep landing shots, land effective shots, beat him up but not worry that I'm not putting him away. Don't get desperate to try to finish him. Just cause damage, effective damage every round. Then there's a way to outpoint Ferguson and, 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 and win in that fashion. The big 
different stat that jumps out to me about these two guys because in terms of wins and losses and submissions and and a lot of things uh, and and even their physical attributes, you know, one inch difference in reach, uh, one inch difference in uh, leg length, one uh, two inch difference in height. You know, not not a lot of differences there. The one thing that jumps out at me is the big differences in KO wins. Tony Ferguson has ten wins via knockout you think a lot about submissions because of the darts chokes and stuff but he's actually got 10 knockout wins kevin lee only has one knockout win so could that indicate that that against world-class talent ferguson might have the advantage in terms of heavy hands yeah and ferguson also because he stands right there and throws Mm -hmm. is in position to knock people out and and he just doesn't you know he has a good chin and good resiliency that uh, you know he, he's he's taking some abuse. Uh, I think Kevin Lee tries to fight a little bit more slick, and uh, you know uh, doesn't put himself in positions to get the knockout because he's also not taking that abuse. It's kind of one of those things where you know if you want to you know a football analogy is if you're going to throw the ball a lot, you're probably also going to get a couple of interceptions. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like yeah. if you run the ball, guess what? They can't intercept it. You know. Yeah. So so if you want to be in position to knock people out, you you know you tend to take a lot of shots if you don't want to be in a position to take shots well then you're probably not going to also knock a lot of guys out now this is an interim uh, lightweight title fight the champion of course is conor mcgregor who's been away from the ufc for some time focused on floyd mayweather what are your thoughts frank on the idea of this being an interim title i mean should they have ever even looked at just outright stripping conor mcgregor and i guess maybe i'm asking about what's what's maybe right in your mind versus what's good for business because those are two i mean i get it it's not good for business to you want conor mcgregor to be wearing a belt and he's the face of the franchise and all that but is there some sort of higher ground uh uh argument to be made for well it's not really right you know he's, no, it's he's not. stepping away no i mean it's purely a business and so ufc yeah. loves the fact that conor mcgregor i mean he's the biggest draw and they're going to keep him uh, having the belt but as far as, uh, you know, when was the last time he defended? Or f- when did he win the belt? How long has it been? Uh, well, he won it against uh, Eddie Alvarez. That was Madison Square Garden. November. November of last year, yeah. So we're, we're next month be a, a year. Well, I guess it could stay in term. I mean, I think that once it hits the year mark, if he doesn't defend it, uh, yeah. I mean, in most, and I think we get that year thing because that's what a lot of the boxing, uh, you know, oh yeah, yeah, promotions do. You know, they say, well, you know, you have to either fight the mandatory challenger, you have one year to do so, yeah. set this fight. If you don't, you have to relinquish the belt. Um, and and it's not that you know, realistically, you know, Connor took the fight with Mayweather and created it and you know um, to great benefit of himself financially mm-hmm. um, you know so the fact that him losing the belts like well it's not fair it's like well I mean I think he understood the situation yeah you know if he wasn't able to defend the belt because he's out chasing down you know a hundred million dollar payday I don't really feel bad for the guy I mean and, and if you probably really if Connor had that choice where it wasn't you know basically left up arbitrarily to the UFC to just you know they can let Connor have the belt for five years. There's no rules or mandated on when they have to uh, strip or create an interim belt. Um, uh, if, but if there were a case where they had to, do you think Connor would have said, "Well, I'm not going to go fight Mayweather because I don't want to take a chance of losing"? Oh my no! Belt. Uh, yeah, listen, I still stand by my theory that Conor McGregor would prefer not to be a champion, yeah. so he's not beholden to that champions clause. But that only goes one way. I think the UFC definitely wants a belt around his waist. 
um, not only for that champions clause uh, extension in the contract, but also just to, that you know you want the face of your franchise wearing gold. That's what the casual well, you know, fan sees. And the problem is, is that fighters are taking this whole ranking thing too seriously. It, it, it's just one more marketing ploy. Mm. You know, what I mean, like you know, everybody's like, well, if I'm number two, why don't I get a title shot? If I'm in the top five, you know, how can you let this guy who's out of it? It's like, look, man. This whole ranking thing is subjected to opinion to begin with. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, people like numbers. Look at baseball stats, you know. So anytime people can quantify numbers on shit, people like that. Is you know, and so saying that this guy's number one, this guy's number two, this guy's number three, that's just for fans. You yeah. know, once again, it's not really like the fighter. It's like this isn't a, a seating at a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a tournament where it's like, well, you're seated number two and this guy because he beat number four guy. He's now seated number three and we're, and we're doing brackets like, no, it's it has nothing that the, the bro. It's not that at all. Yeah. And so, I mean, and, and, the, and, and the UFC would never actually solidify themselves to mandate that number four guy can't, you know, you know, you can't give a title shot to a number. They don't do that. They want to make it's it's at this point at it, it's like they're in the, the they're in the business of making money and that's why i mean for example you know when people say hey is that not right it's like well i mean yeah i guess i hear what you're saying but it's not right but that's just not the reality of it yeah. you know like you know the fact that gsp can go fight for the middleweight title skipping over everybody and he's not even ranked so it just shows you that the ranking system is purely just it's a fantasy thing it's just for fun and you got to think that they want to get conor mcgregor uh, if at all possible, on that big uh, year-end New Year's weekend card thing, you know, I mean, there's still if we're in October, there's time out for that. I mean, if if we get to that point and Conor McGregor still is not back in the UFC, then maybe we start having another conversation. But I'll I'll bet that's when we start seeing talk about him fighting again Should. on that card. Yeah, yeah. Uh, co-main event, and uh, how is how? Uh, <laughs> How is this a co-main event? Uh, because history is on the line. The only flyweight champion that the UFC has ever known, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, is going to be going for a record title defense against number three ranked Ray Borg. Why is Borg. it the co-main event? I don't get that. The only thing I can think of, I know a lot of times... Is it because of Ray Borg not making... Is that the, I think we talked about this. Yeah. Movie. That makes sense to me. Of course, this fight was supposed to happen, uh, uh, what, six weeks ago now? Yeah. Something like that. And uh, Ray Borg, he never officially said he couldn't make weight. He just said he had a health issue. But he also uh, fired his nutritionist right away uh, at the end of that uh, that, that botched uh, fight week. So, uh, And he has had issues making weight in the past. So it had to be something, I would guess, uh, related to the physicality of that. And it could be because you know maybe they don't want to put that at the top of the card in case there's another problem with him. There's also an old thinking, Frank, that uh, you probably know this as a heavyweight, that if there's multiple title fights on the card – that usually the heavier the fighters, the more toward the top of the card they get. However, that middleweight or that lightweight fight is for an interim title. It's yeah. not like it's for uh, the undisputed. So I, yeah. I don't know. That that would be my guess as to why they're yeah, doing it. Yeah, I really don't have a good answer. There, for there was another thing, too, though. That Ferguson-Lee fight was already scheduled to be the main event on this card. And then when that was before Mighty Mouse and Borg fell out the first time. So when they got rescheduled, you would have had to have took told Ferguson and Lee, hey, you're not the headliners now. Like, yeah. we did have you as the and, headliners. And, and, and that does affect you. people's pay. Yeah, so, so it could be that. 
Um, but Mighty Mouse with a win over Ray Borg will break the all-time record for consecutive title defenses in UFC history. Uh, that record is currently he's tied with Anderson the Spider Silva. Uh, we did a pretty detailed breakdown of how we saw this yeah. fight going when it was uh, before it fell out the first time so you could probably go back about six weeks six weeks ago and listen to our episode on that but um i mean just as an overall view i don't think either one of us frank saw uh there being uh much of a path to victory here for ray borg against the maybe the greatest uh the most well-rounded mixed martial artists our, our generation has ever seen yeah and demetrius johnson i don't see i mean really there's just no one at you know, 125 pounds that I think can really beat him. You know, I mean, uh, when guys give him a hard time and he still wins around, I'm like, oh, well, that was competitive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and so, uh, you know, and Ray Borg, I just, you know, uh, I think the fact that he does have a hard time making the weight is going to be another factor and not in his favor that now he has to make 125 on the dot. He can't even make 126, won't count. Right. And so, uh, you know, I think that he just doesn't have a lot going in his favor. Nothing against him as a martial artist. It's just that pretty much everybody, you know, Demetrius Johnson destroys, you know, has beaten and, and uh, you know, like I told you, as far as coming up with a game plan how to beat Demetrius, I don't know if anybody has one, you know, I mean, even just a thought of it. I mean, you know, there's times where people, you know, you sit there and, you know, Anderson Silva, even in his heyday, you're like, well, if you can get a hold of him and crowd him and take him down, just no one was able to do so for the longest time. Mm-hmm. So just because you have a game plan, implementing it is another thing. I can't even get to that first step where I look at Demetrius and go, okay, well, here's the game plan. It's like, well, fuck, he outstrikes everybody. He's fast. His grappling, uh, his heart, his resilience, his conditioning. I'm like, yeah, guys, I don't really see anywhere where we could take this besides just catching him in something. One stat that jumps out to me there as we look at it is uh, the difference in significant strikes. Uh, per minute, Demetrius outlands Ray Borg uh, with significant strikes, three to one. That's significant. And that's a huge number, too, because with Demetrius Johnson, he's had more minutes in an octagon than I think anybody, right? We, I, I think that is right, yeah. Right. Or, so, I yeah. mean, so you're, you're talking about, I mean, it isn't like he's had only a couple real high-impact fights where it pads that number up. Yeah. You're talking about a guy that's fought a lot. And so for him to have landed per minute that many significant strikes over – that many fights with the UFC and the WEC before, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's that's amazing. I wanted to ask your thought on uh, one one sort of ancillary aspect of this fight week pertaining to Demetrius Johnson, and that's this: he is openly discussing uh, this week who his next couple of opponents might be with a victory over Ray Borg. He named specifically Sergio Pettis, if Pettis can get past uh, Henry Cejudo in Detroit uh, at UFC 218, I believe that that's happening on. And then uh, also a fighter that you may not know a lot about, uh, Magomed uh, uh, Bibulatov. I don't know anything about this guy, early, other than the fact I've seen him fight in the UFC once. He's only fought in the UFC once, but he's an undefeated fighter, and I think he's like 14-0 and 0 or 15-0, and 0, something like that. Yeah, he's on the under... Thank you. He is... Uh, he's actually ranked number 15 now, Russian fight. Yeah, 14-0. and 0. Uh, He is fighting John Moraga, uh, a guy that Demetrius Johnson has, has defeated. 
uh, on the prelims. So uh, this is somebody that Demetrius, you know, I, Demetrius is a student of the game, and you know he knows even who who the guy is all the way down at 15 that's got one whole fight in the UFC and has looked at him as maybe a potential opponent down the line. But I guess my question for you, where this pertains, uh, Frank, is. You know, the standard answer when I come up to you at fight week and say, hey, you know, uh, uh, you get a win Saturday night. Who, who would you like next? And like a cookie-cutter answer. Yeah, and what you're supposed to say. Tell I'm what really you're supposed to say. I'm focused on my opponent. I don't want to look past him because, you know, who I'm facing is very dangerous and yeah. you know, possesses. And, you know, after the fight, you know, if I come through with a victory, you know, you know when I win, we're, then we'll talk about what's next. But, you know, I really can't think past, you know, Saturday night. Yeah, exactly. That's the generic answer. Now, Demetrius gave uh, a very thoughtful answer, named a couple of people. So I guess my question is, do you think there's anything to the conventional wisdom of, uh-oh, don't don't start doing that, don't start looking past any opponents, uh, or is it just a matter of the fact that, that Demetrius is just a logical guy and can have a conversation for a minute about, well, what might be next if you beat the guy? So it's not like he's saying, when I beat him on Saturday, I'll take on this guy and then that guy next. He's saying, look, I've I got to win the fight on Saturday. If I do win, here's what could possibly happen. What do you think? No, I, I think that that's just, you know, it's uh, it's something that all fighters do. You you, you, you do it privately. You do it privately. And just, yeah. they don't want to be ridiculed and sit there and go, well, see, you shouldn't be doing this. Because, again, it's the safer route to choose the humble words. Uh and so uh, this is one thing about trying to make uh, th that I agree with, that, that I personally will probably do in the future of my career now. Uh, you know, I'm just lazier, I think, than most people because anytime anybody's ever asked me, well, I just want to focus on this one because it's an easy way to shut the question down. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but Demetrius, I think, I don't think there's anything to that. That whole, like, you're looking past your opponent, you're like, you really, you don't think that he trained for Ray Borg, that he's broken down mm -hmm. film on Ray Borg? I mean, the only way that that statement really makes sense means it'd be like, hey, so your fight with Ray Borg, did you study video? You're like, no, I didn't study any video on him. I don't even know what he looks like. I was studying video on the guy I thought I was in a fight next. Mm -hmm. Then I'd be like, well, that's kind of crazy. I mean, you, you spent all your classroom time on the guy you're fighting next. Yeah. But, I mean, that's obviously not the case. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Demetrius, too, is just a thoughtful guy. I mean, I think he, he and that's what makes him a good interview. You know, he, he gives you thoughtful answers. He listens to what your question is and actually tries to give you a legitimate answer to whatever the question is that you asked. UFC 216's feature bout, Frank, is in your heavyweight division. Former champ Fabricio Verdum taking on the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. And, uh, you know, Lewis is a guy who had, I guess for a brief period of time, announced a retirement. Yeah, that, that kind of bugs me a little bit. I mean, he had, you know, he's, he's a talented athlete. Um, you know, I think that... I think we talked about him. If he steps out of his comfort area where he's at and getting and was to get around some more professional, high-level trainers, I think that really he has a lot of potential to even be better than what he already is. Uh, and then for him to run up against Mark Hunt like that and they're like, ah, you know, fuck it, I'm out of here. It's mm -hmm. like it makes me wonder about his ability to deal with adversity. Maybe that's why he doesn't step out of that camp. He doesn't want to train hard, you know, mm -hmm. or get beat up. That You know, what happens when you go to a big camp, you're going to have days where you're not the, you know, no one goes into a high-level camp and every day you're on the uh, the giving end of the ass whoopings. You, yeah. know? you know, look, man, I've been in camps with John Jones himself, who's one of the best fighters in the world, and not every day was he the alpha dog in the room. You know, you know I've seen Cowboy Cerrone. I've, everybody, we've all had those days where, you know, 
if you're with uh, with other guys that are good, yeah, they're gonna get you some days. It just it's inevitable. And if they're not, and if you're kicking every look, if you're winning every fucking round and sparring in your gym, you need to get the fuck out of your gym. Mm, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, you're not gonna get much better. You know what I mean? Like you've you've hit the ceiling. You know? Yeah. The thing that uh, that that jumps out at me here is you know you talk about Derek making the big jump up in competition against Mark Hunt, and then that happening. Well, this is another big jump up in competition. I mean, it's it's not it's not like he took on Mark Hunt, said, "Okay, maybe that was uh, that was a little much," and then uh, you know now he's gonna gonna go back down and maybe fight somebody toward the lower end of the top fifteen. Now he's actually taken on number two, yeah. Uh, and so his mind is is probably going to have to be there and then some. In yeah. order to pull this off now, and, for and Fabricio is not as, you know, Fabricio is is very smart and very mentally tough because he's not, yeah. he's not a world class athlete. You know, Fabricio doesn't have phenomenal knockout power. Mm. He's not extremely strong. He doesn't rip limbs off people. Uh, but you know, he's a hard worker. He's extremely focused and he's very smart. So he's not going to fight Derek Lewis at his strengths. He's going to take. Derek into deeper waters. He's going to fight him out of his element. He's going to make it to where you know Derek uh, is never in a position to feel comfortable. So I mean, you know, it, so stylistically, this is a harder fight than his last one um, because with Hunt, at least you knew Hunt wasn't going to try to take him somewhere where Derek doesn't want to be. Yeah, he was going to stand there and allow Derek to hit him. Uh, you know, and and potential to, to knock him out. I mean, you know, Hunt has a good chin, but it's not unbeatable i mean we've seen him knocked out before uh and Derek hits pretty hard he's very explosive you can mm-hmm. see how high when he even walks into the uh the cage he's able to leap up several steps that's a large man that shows a lot of power and explosion mm-hmm. uh you know but um this uh, this is a fight that you know he's gonna have if he has uh, you know some chinks in his armor when it comes to mental fortitude it's gonna be exposed <laughs> Well, up until uh, last year, Fabricio Verdum had not lost since 2011 uh, in his uh, second fight against Alistair Overeem and then uh, hit a rough patch after losing the title to Stipe Miocic, uh, came back and won a unanimous decision over Travis Brown, but then lost a majority decision just this past July in the uh, trilogy fight against uh, Alistair Overeem. Um, so I, I think for Fabricio, this is a little bit of a uh, of a reclamation fight because he needs to he needs to beat Derek Lewis. I guess more than Derek Lewis needs to yeah. beat him is maybe the way I would look at it. Yeah. If to stay in that you know top contender conversation. No, absolutely. This is definitely more for Fabricio to lose than Derek to win because I mean right now, especially with Derek Lewis coming off the loss, saying he's going to retire. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to really up or bump Fabricio's uh, stock. I mean, mm-hmm. if anything, I mean he knocked out. Mark Hunt that beat just beat uh, uh, Derek right. Lewis. Right. Uh, this uh, the upside in this is really for Derek Lewis to put himself right back on the map and back in conversation as one of the top heavyweights. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, Derek Lewis's retirement seemed a little premature, but it also seemed like uh, you know we had seen this kind of unlikely rise from an unheralded guy, and then uh, he was he was tested against that next level of competition, and that seemed to 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 
maybe neutralize the conversation a bit. So maybe yeah. if anything, it's a little bit of a reset on that. Even if he loses to Verdum, if he just looks, if he looks really competitive, if this is a really close fight, yeah. then maybe we take another look at Derek Lewis and go, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe he reconsidered in the right way. Yeah, and, and I think the two that he just needs to shift and add to his mindset, and maybe he has mm-hmm. to realize, like you know, like it doesn't always have to be about winning the title. You should like to fight for the sake of fighting. It's fun to fight people. Yeah, you get to fucking beat people up and not go to jail. Like and, that's a pretty and, novel idea, and you get paid to do it. Yeah, and how about this? And in the heavyweight division, where you know because there are fewer of you guys in terms of of size and you know world class level competition. You can be, in my opinion, you can be much more of a, a household heavyweight yeah. name, even if you're number 12, number 13, Absolutely. something like that. And also, too, as long as you do, when you do win, you win great. If you do lose, yeah. you don't panic or do anything crazy or stupid that makes you look bad. Like, you know, don't cry or anything afterwards. Oh, you that's know? a segue. I see where you, I see He's what like you that. did there. But you, then also, too, I like his social media. I think yeah. that he has a good personality outside that. No, you know what? That that that's how Jennifer like first became aware of who he is. Yeah, actually, honestly, at me too. I mean, yeah. I knew who that he was a heavyweight that's fighting the UFC, yeah. but his social media is actually what brought me to pay attention to him. Yeah, yeah. No, he's 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 funny. He's got a good sense of humor. Uh, all right. Well, you you teased ahead there. Uh, we got Did a flip like over. Yep, that was good. That that was that was on the fly too. I wish it was solid formatics right there. Uh, we've got to flip over and look at Daniel Cormier's Twitter page now. Uh, this goes back to the end of September, but Frank was out of the country. In fact, I I had to WhatsApp you a uh, screenshot of, of DC's tweet for uh, to get you up to speed on what was going on. Uh, if you go to our phone booth fighting YouTube page, there is a clip of an episode from I don't know maybe what has has that been two months yet six weeks something like that six weeks is all my always when i can't remember how long ago something was but i know it was fairly recently i feel like six weeks is a safe guess yeah. i usually go what was that about six weeks ago it's a medium um, <laughs> yeah yeah so right about six weeks ago uh when uh, daniel cormier fought uh and lost to john jones he was very emotional he was crying yeah. uh after the knockout loss and we were on the podcast, and just as a synopsis for yeah. those who missed it, maybe just uh, refresh everybody of what your position on that was. Well, I just thought that, you know, I was pointing out, because that's what we get to do on the podcast, is like anybody else who's mm-hmm. in, a, in, in, in a, a public forum to speak, and people are interested in, in, in whatever capacity to listen to. Mm-hmm. It's my opinion on it, and I thought that, you know, that... Want, I really think his corner should have jumped in there and had him not be interviewed and mm-hmm. and got him out of there and that that I, and I think that Daniel should have kept his composure a little bit better that uh that you know that crying there that in that form just looked really bad mm-hmm. I mean and, and and I can speak from experience I've had my ass handed to me quite a few times mm-hmm. uh, you know that just comes along with the territory of winning a few titles that you know I've been at the other end of the ass whooping as much as you know as I like to <laughs> prefer to be on the give end I've also been on the receiving end uh, but you know I'll be damned if anybody's going to you know break me in that way to where I mean I guess here's how I look at it you know to give more detail to it again is that you know you could beat me 
but you don't break me. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's one of those things where like, yes, you, you, you got me, you were better than me tonight. You beat me, but you're not going to break me and have me, you know, just, you know, uh, completely just, uh, break down in tears. And I guess there's a, I guess the way I looked at it when I saw Daniel crying like that, I was like, wow, he's basically, that's a psychological tap out. I see. And you had said, too, on that same episode that that you have cried over a loss. You Mm -hmm. just have waited until you got back to the back. You were out of everybody's company and just had that that private moment. Yeah, you're by yourself. You can then, you know what I mean? Like, you know, but I don't know. It's just, you know, that's just part of, I guess, maybe I'm being too chauvinistic or, you know, or, you know, too uh, stereotypical masculinity Mm -hmm. and how I view it and just. You know, it's like, man, you know, it's uh, you know, it's a pretty masculine sport we're involved in. Yeah. And, you know, I just thought that if, if and here's the thing. I'm sure if Daniel could go back and make sure he didn't do that, mm-hmm. he would have preferred not to. I don't think, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he owns it and that's who he is and he's sensitive and very in touch with his feelings more so than I am. Well, that was back on our uh, 138th episode from July 31st. And that video clip of you stating that case, but but at greater length, right. has been viewed about 70,000 times on our Phone Booth Fighting YouTube page. And I guess word just now got around to Daniel Cormier. I guess he was at 70,000th view because he tweeted uh, a few weeks back at the Frank Mirror. You can go ahead and read it there, Frank. He said, I'm going to kick your ass again when I see you. Okay, that is a... Reference to his decision victory over you uh, when you guys fought. And, and, and I can read through that. Because, okay. I mean, really our last fight, our only fight, um, was very much of a hug fest against the cage. So I think that this is his way of giving me a, a very cryptic message that he just wants a hug. Oh, yes. okay. This I is, see. You know what I mean? I'm going to kick your ass again. It's like, mm-hmm. well, the last fight was a lot of holding, a lot of hugging. Yeah. Oh, you want me to hold you? Okay. See this. So, is this some sort of grinder slang that I don't? Yeah, I don't know it, the it code. Is, I don't yes. know this code talk. Okay. Embrace the grind. I mean, which sounds like a, a, a okay. Yeah. Well, I don't want to piss anybody off, but a certain genre of pornography that I don't particularly watch. Okay. All right. I see what you're saying. You think that that the 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 MMA uh, fans may have misconstrued what they thought was yeah. a threat, which was actually. Uh, uh, an invitation. Yes. All right. Well, let me let me say a couple things first, uh, just so I make sure Daniel knows who to focus on being angry at. <laughs> I defended Daniel Cormier on that episode. I said that you know he had been knocked. Only time he'd ever been knocked out. Vicious head kick. And I was there at that fight. And he vicious head kick. The four or five punches he took on the ground too. The, well, the, yes. John finished small. Those were. And I, I I was telling you I was uh, I was at the uh, at the fight. And uh, even when the camera cut away from him, I mean, even I've seen a lot of knockouts. It took him a long time to get up, you know, even by vicious knockout standards. So I knew head wasn't right, and Rogan regretted, you know, interview. So anyway, but you know what? But that Rogan should not regret interviewing, and that's Rogan's job. Yeah. And you know, if anything, I think that it really it should have fallen more on the cornerman. Corner, right? I I do. I agree with that. His cornerman should have protected. Yeah, him. they're the ones looking. Their job is to look after Daniel, and Daniel's yes. best interest was not to be on camera at that moment. And I think that you know, I mean, that's why the internet's flooded with memes teasing him about it because it wasn't at his best moment. And I think they should have you know seen that. And go, you know, I mean, just like your friend, we're out and you're doing some kind of stupid. I'm like, no, let me intervene on this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you, uh, you, I cut you off. 
Uh, whereas Joe Rogan's. Uh, uh, um, oh, here's a little clip. Here's a little. Oh, that's when Daniel Cormier tried to throw the. Uh, what was that a flying knee? Or a, what was he trying to do? I think a flying for, uh, roundhouse. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you gave him the old. You mirror faced him a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. Did. You gave him a little bit of the Frank mirror face. I don't remember that. That's funny. You don't. Really, yeah. Uh, a lot of hey, fights. by the way, go back up where that clip was. I need a, a quick random shout out to one of our listeners, Mr. R. Jai or Jal, whatever. The, is that Jai? Mr. R. Jai, I think. He just uh, he he put in the comment section about our pod about your podcast, Frank. I quite enjoy his insight, meaning you and the podcast, even though I don't always agree with him. One of my favorite MMA uh, podcasts. Well, thank you for uh, jumping in the comment section uh, at your own peril. But what I was going to say is, I did point out that you know if you're if you're concussed, your brain scrambled a little bit, whatever. You know, maybe you're not thinking clearly. Daniel is an emotional guy. But, you know, that could have made him hyper-emotional, uh, confused, yeah. I don't know. And then, of course, I also, full disclosure, acknowledged that I would have been crying on the way into the octagon. When they were doing the checking for the mouthpiece in the cup, I'd been like... <laughs> I, I would have needed John McCarthy to reassure me on the way and everything was going to be okay. Yeah. But that's, uh, fortunately, he's not mad at me, he's mad at you. So what do you say to this? What What do you... How do you feel now that Daniel has obviously directly heard your your critique? Nothing, I guess. I mean, yeah. shit, man. If I got mad at everybody that said something bad that hurt my feelings, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd still be talking about shit fucking 10 years ago. That's I, right. I wouldn't be caught up yet. And that's just uh, in your house. Yeah. No, geez. Uh, you know, no, it's what it is. You go out there and you, you fight. You, we put ourselves out there yeah. open to uh, criticism and, uh, you know. And if uh, hopefully the people are not intelligent about it and it's stupid, that way you can blow it off. But, uh, you know, if someone puts something articulate, you know, and is able to actually convey a thought and it hurts your feelings, then obviously that's when it upsets you and affects you. So his emotional response back to me that he wants to kick my ass, I guess, just shows that I uh, touched a chord, you know. Well, what if we did struck a chord? Uh, yeah, I think it's a proper term. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about, you know, obviously we were we were going to need to. Uh, address this on the air and of course a lot of people uh i tell you the one of the funniest comments i saw i don't know if it was on his feet or not but uh so <laughs> had you know he's saying i'm gonna kick your ass again when i see you and it had a picture of you and underneath it it said cash me over in bellator how about that <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of funny yeah. so uh seeing as how you're now in uh rival promotions uh I had this idea. I don't know if you know about this or not. Daniel Cormier has launched a podcast. Do you know Daniel Cormier is now a podcaster? No, I did not. He has a podcast called Talk and Talker. And uh, he hosts it with uh, Nick Swinmern, who is Zappos.com founder and Lucha Venture CEO. So they're only nine episodes into their podcast. I thought, you know what maybe we do is we issue a swap cast challenge. Yeah, I'm putting man. you on the spot here, by the way. No. You and I have not talked about this. You can no, tell I'm me okay if it's a bad idea. I've seen Daniel's shit-talking efforts. I'm not okay. worried. <laughs> okay. All right. And I'm figuring that's a nice thing we can do because they're getting theirs off the ground. We've been around a little longer than that. Yeah. And we, we, we get together. We swap cast. You guys can can talk it out across the table or whatever. 
and then we we podcast it. Yeah. All right. All right. So that is the challenge, and I'll I'll make sure word gets back to uh, to Daniel about this. Uh, I think I can make sure of that anyway. That we're issuing Only a few a, months down. Now. Yeah. You mean I hear about I mean, it for a few months? I can't talk shit yeah. about that because you had to tell me about the the comment in the yeah. first place. It was funny because <laughs> a couple of my friends made jokes. Uh, my friend Princey from. Uh, from Manchester. Oh, yeah. Something about my flights were getting messed up. He goes, oh, you're going to have to hang out here. That way you can hide from D.C. Uh-huh. And I remember just kind of like looking at it. I was like, oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, what does that mean? But you know, like, you know, sometimes you don't get a joke, but it's not funny enough for you to even really try to invest your time into it. Yeah. And then like a couple of days later, finally, you were like, hey, you know, we need to address the thing that, you know, Daniel said. I'm like, what did he say? Yeah, you know, yeah. Then, you know, you had to tell me. And so then I was like, oh, that's yeah. what Princey was trying to make a joke about. Yep, yep. Well, we'll uh, uh, we'll we'll get the word to Daniel. But uh, if anybody is uh, following him on Twitter or any kind of thing like that, we may have to come up with a comprehensive uh, hashtag that everybody can use or something to uh, uh, let him know that that we want to get together for a uh, swap cast. And you know, he's out there in California. We're here. He's he travels all the time because of the Fox stuff and all. Yeah. So surely we're going to be in the same place at the same time on a multitude of occasions. So let's see if we can make that happen. Works. All right. Uh, let's see. A couple of other just uh, quick items here. Uh, I, I wanted to share. You may not have even heard this story, Frank. It may have flown under the radar for you. But uh, did you hear about the controversial art exhibit that was going to take place at the Guggenheim Museum in New York? Have you ever heard of the Guggenheim? Yeah. No, famous yes, famous yes. art museum. Um, they were going to have an installation art exhibit. You know that term, like when there's like actual humans doing something in the middle of a room, and they're calling it art, or yeah. it's not—it's not like a painting. Okay, well, installation art is like—I'll give you an example of what there. Uh, it could be like, like you and I, podcasting or sitting here just staring Didn't Jay-Z at each do something other. Something like that where he rapped a song, the same song for like four hours or something. I think there was something like okay. that. Right. Yeah, it's got a real broad definition, and that factors into what the problem uh, was here. Have you ever been to any of those things where the people do the poems up on stage and they're really weird? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like uh, slam poetry. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, done, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's not all that different from an open mic stand-up comedy uh, night. I mean, I've only seen it parodied, and, and it's always bad. Yes. When you see yeah. movies where people are just like, you know, some woman's up there doing like my vagina yeah. screams and you know you're like what the fuck i shouldn't have talked over that by the way that would have made a great drop uh sorry uh it, well it, it it's a sometimes it's it can be really good when it's good but a lot of times it is really bad and installation art is no different uh than that so the guggenheim announced that they were going to have an installation art exhibit by two chinese artists and what this exhibit was going to feature was, among other things, video that these artists had created in China of four dogs that were dog-fighting dogs on treadmills, restrained from reaching at each other, but so close nose-to-nose that they were running at each other so hard that they just basically you know dehydrated and were were spent from trying to get at each other unfortunately this is a dog fighting training technique they'll put them on treadmills and things like that to build endurance and these dogs were all scarred up i mean they'd obviously they really been put used a dog in, on a treadmill oh yeah they do that they shot them up with steroids i mean that's why a lot of the victory dogs have had health issues 
because of the stuff. Like my dog Mel. I mean, not get off track for a second. Hold on but a second. you juice a dog. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's steroids for dogs. Yep. Yep. They when they busted Vic's dog fighting ring, they pulled out steroid. I mean, pharmaceutical grade steroids, treadmills. Uh, one thing that's happened with Mel is his. Uh, anytime I take him to the vet, if they don't know a story, they always ask about this because his back teeth like are, they make the dogs bite harder and shit. Like, uh, wh- what? Because I know they what make steroids say? for animals, but oh, like but I thought it was just to buff them up. Like, there's that. I didn't think it was functional strength. I thought it was just you know you fatten chickens and cows. Yeah. I mean, you read about you know they put antibiotics and steroids in your food. Yeah. But I mean, this is, well, there's that and the resilience, you know, I mean, like the, well, I guess you to know. heal afterwards. I mean, what's well, because because, you, you know, this I mean, it's so diabolical. But but what, you know, Vic actually had somebody on print. They never caught this guy. And of course, Vic didn't give him up because, uh, you know, as much of a as much as he wanted to denounce dog fighting, he didn't seem to be interested in naming any. Names. How hard is it to give a dog an injection? Not hard at all. Really? Well, no, but it's not hard at all. But what I was going to tell you about this, this there was somebody there who had veterinary training because somebody was sewing these dogs up like when they would just be, you know, on death's door with yeah, mortal wounds, sewing them up. And then uh, the ones they were breeding, that, that same person had extracted all of their teeth. Uh, I guess I never really thought about enough that there's training regimens oh, yeah. for yeah. a fighting dog. Horrible. So these Chinese artists, so, I mean, you know, it's as horrible as it is, you, 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 you're not surprised that people who would do something like that are out there doing it. But you don't expect to see anything uh, related to it in an art museum. These, these artists had made this film of these four dogs running at each other, and it was to, you know, some BS about, you know, it was to symbolize society's struggle with not being able to touch each other, but longing to get i mean there was some nonsense you know explanation about what this was just to justify flat out animal cruelty and the guggenheim of all places was actually going to run this exhibit and i saw you know outrage they're gonna have live dogs there no they're gonna have the video now uh they were also going to have in a like a little biodome that people could walk around and look at uh, thousands of live insects and like scorpions and spiders and stuff like that that were going to be put in there just for the intent of killing each other. So, and I mean, I'm, I understand everybody doesn't have outward compassion for the random insect, but as far as, you know, orchestrating a situation where you could just put them all in there and just, just watch them all uh, uh, kill each other, and that was supposed to symbolize something else. So anyway, I saw the dog that fighting. That sounds like some cool shit you do as a kid in the backyard. Well, until somebody... That's not cool shit, though. That's It's that's, bugs. It's okay to kill bugs. Well, I'm not against... Okay, we're at the soundtrack. <laughs> I'm not against extermination of bugs, because I draw... I, my line is a central nervous system, essentially. Okay. But what I don't want to do is... I don't want to. I don't want to take some scorpions and some spot, just some stuff that I know is just going to attack and eat each other for no Sorry, random reason. And put them together because I'm okay with that. Yeah, <laughs> bug warfare. Let them go. Like, All right. I mean, I would never do that to any kind of mammal or you know, uh, 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 birds, fish. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like reptiles, amphibians. Like, 
you know, I don't know. I, I guess I put them in a different category. Well, they are in a different category. Uh, bugs, I'm not arguing uh, that. Yeah, bugs. I'm just like uh, if they're in a, you know. They are in a different category. I'm not arguing that. Let me ask you this: Do you see any great social point that can be made? No, that's why I say that it's this? just a, purely a yeah, just yeah. A, a bunch of like. If I did it now, I'd be like, if I went to so, hey man, I, uh, I got a spider and a scorpion. You want to see them fight yeah. each other? I'd be like drinking a beer. I'm like, nah, sure, fucking, let's see. You know what I mean? But like, yeah. uh, it, it's pure just moronic fun. Yeah. Uh, I don't see that trying to make a social statement out of it. Right. Statement out of it is a little highbrow right. for what I think is a very lowbrow. Yeah, kind of just like it's like pulling the wings off a fly and watching. Well, you know? it's exactly what it. And then you know the idea of even if you knew that those dogs were not going to be able to get at each other, if you knew that that was making their their heart race, that that was the stress that it was putting on, especially if they come from dog fighting situations. Yeah, no, that's not cool. Yeah, that's uh, no, that's no, animal no, abuse. No, yeah, no, I'm not. So they were actually going to show this video. So I saw posts about it, and you know I got to be honest, I thought it was it was maybe fake. You know how like sometimes somebody will post something. You're like, let me look yeah, into this they're first. They're trolling and, everybody. Yeah, yeah, let me make sure this is a, a real thing. Well, looked it up. Turned out it was a real thing. And the original defense by the Guggenheim was that, well, the dogs aren't actually in the art gallery. It's film of them. So they were going to move forward with this until uh, a petition started going around and they started hearing from people. They pulled the exhibit, which I think was the right thing to do. But I had what I thought was a unique take on commentary to them that I brought for show and tell. So I went on the Guggenheim's website because I was going to inform them that, uh, you know, I did not approve. And I saw that uh, there was an email for the person that handles collections in the museum. So people who will be, you know, you're an artist and you've got a collection coming in. This is going to be the person that you're going to liaison with to organize your, uh, your showing. So I wrote the following uh, email to them. <clears throat> I have produced a short film of Chinese children being forced to work in a sweatshop environment to highlight the exploitive conditions that they labor under. Tethered to their sewing machines and just out of reach from one another, they stitch together sneakers to the point of exhaustion, and as the viewer watches them wither and dehydrate, he is overcome with a sense of a broader global awareness of a universal realization of higher consciousness. Now, to be clear, the actual Chinese children don't come with the exhibit. That, of course, would be distasteful. It's just a film showing the desperation of captive living creatures restrained and displayed by an artist like myself with talent worthy of the Guggenheim, as is evidenced by the museum's current culture of decision-making. I realize that this type of thing can be viewed as controversial by those who don't truly understand the depths of artistic expression, so I am happy to provide the permission slips that I collected from the children's parents written in Mandarin, so a translator might be in order, that you can tweet as a means of rationale for the exhibit. I look forward to being able to officially announce my groundbreaking exhibition at the Guggenheim, so please let me know as soon as possible what dates you would like to arrange. I do have a carnival in the Midwest where I will be exhibiting during a portion of the fall, so I will, of course, need to make sure that your dates don't conflict with those. Sincerely, Richard Hunter, parentheses, for print and publicity purposes, I spell my last name with umlauts over the U for dramatic effect. 
And uh, the next day they announced they weren't going to have the exhibit. Now, I don't know if my letter, I don't know if that was pure coincidence, but it felt good. It felt good that I had sent my letter the night before, and the next day they were like, yeah, okay, and we won't do that. I like it. And actually, even a step up, you would have had permission slips from the parents, which is probably more than what the dogs were. That's right. That's exactly right. You know how there's all those memes and gifs of the mirror face? Yeah. We need a couple of the judging Richard Hunter face. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> judging. Judging. Are you are you telling me that I have a tell like you can you can I start silently judging before I'm verbally judging? Oh yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because also too though, to your credit, uh-huh. you're actually not an asshole about it. Yeah. When you're judging us and you I've seen that look in your eyes and that facial expression. You then are trying to figure out a way to very kindly yeah. explain to me the error of my ways and, and maybe I could look at it from a different viewpoint or take mm-hmm. it. You're like, well, you know, think about this <laughs> type yeah. of con- That should be your statement, right? Travis, you heard it. Well, it's just, it's just, well, you know, let's think about it this way. You know what I'm really doing <laughs> is I am positioning in such a way so that ultimately you will explain it to yourself. Yes, no, that no, is what I'm shooting you're, for. And you're, yeah. very, the, you're one of the few people that honestly, if I had to hear something that I don't want to hear, I like the way you put it forward because, I mean, it's like oh. if bad information has to come, I'm glad it comes from you because you're very gentle about it because a lot of times, you know, shit, man, I mean, uh, uh, your thought process is more you than any part of you, you know? The way I think about things is more personal to me than even my own, you know, your hand. Mm. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a body part. It's, a, it's an expression of it's, it's you, your conscious. Yeah. So when someone comes by and throws a concept or you know one of your fundamental pillars of, of your viewpoints of the world it has to be tilted a little bit uh, you know you're very delicate about it i appreciate that because More so you know, than i am i do appreciate it because you know what i'll tell you one one cliche we we start out the show talking about clichés i guess we can wrap on talking about or uh, wrap the show on talking about one but uh whenever i hear somebody say who are we to judge that drives me crazy. There needs to be there needs to be more judging in the world. People need to get busy judging. I like that's why you uh, when you made that joke about the tattoo thing. Ah uh, yes, my only God can judge me joke, which I fear. Uh, one night I'm going to be telling on stage, and Jeremy Stevens is going to be in the audience. <laughs> I eventually it'll happen if I do enough shows, and then we're going to have to have an awkward conversation. Let's hope that he's okay at laughing at himself. Yes, let's hope. Let's hope. Uh, he hits pretty hard. <laughs> what am I talking about? If you haven't, uh, if you don't know the joke, well, that means you haven't come out and seen my uh, stand-up act. So Which they'd have an opportunity on Tuesday. That's right? what I was going to say. This Tuesday, October tenth, not only myself but uh, uh, Frank Mir, uh, the two of us on stage together, along with the comedy genius of Butch Bradley. I I can't tell you enough how great this guy's stand-up is out of all the people uh, that I've worked with. And we're getting together for a good cause here in Las Vegas, 6 p.m. show, Tuesday night. It's going to be a live taping of Phone Booth Fighting. We're going to have some stand-up comedy mixed in. And it's at the L.A. Comedy Club inside the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino on the Las Vegas Strip. The best part is... All of the money that we're going to raise is going to the uh, Las Vegas Shooting Victims Fund. So it's going to be a suggested donation at the door. If you're in Las Vegas, 
uh, please come out. Or if you know anybody in Las Vegas that lives here or is going to be here, please pass the word to them because we do only have about four or five days to promote this thing. Uh, we want to try to get as many people in there as possible to raise as much money as possible for uh, what happened here over the last week. It, it really has, a, you know, it's a it it's in a in a sad, I mean, very tragic circumstances. But I will say this in a, in an unexpected way that it affected me, Frank. It's like I all of a sudden realize this is my hometown because you're from here. Born here. I'm not from here, and I've enjoyed living here for for a few years. All my children are born here. Yeah, and and I own my home here. I mean, there's a lot of things. It definitely mm-hmm. feels like home to me. But as far as that communal thing, you know, and I guess yeah. it's something a lot of times maybe you only feel in tragedy. Where I was like, oh, this is this is my town. This yeah. happened to you know. It was so. crazy for me to click on some of the international links. You know, like I, I watched the BBC News and yeah. stuff, and and to go on there and see Vegas was so weird. You know, it's yeah. weird. I mean, I've seen myself on news things, and, and I thought that was weird. But there was something about my hometown being mm-hmm. on that, you know, large of a, a attention, and, and obviously for a very infamous, you know, uh, uh, you know situation. Yep. Uh, wow, you know. Phoneboothfighting.com is our website. All previously aired and archived episodes are parked right there. Tell them about that Amazon banner, Frank. Uh, you know, it's one way you can really help us out here at the show uh, by uh, doing all your shopping through that portal, uh, any of your wants and needs that you normally acquire through Amazon. If you click on our banner that's on our uh, face page or on our uh, webpage, homepage, excuse me, um, it allows you to now give a small percentage of what you purchase. We'll go back to us at the show. It really at no extra cost to yourself. Doesn't cost you anything. It's actually Amazon. It's taking a little bit off top, kicking it back to us. So we appreciate that. You can also uh, shop in the merchandise section. We're about to drop a new T-shirt. Uh, I'm, I will show it to you guys on the next broadcast. If you watch on Phone Booth Fighting's YouTube channel, you will be seeing it on our social media the next few days. Uh, here's a hint. It's got a Halloween theme, and it's very, very cool. So that will be in the merchandise section at phoneboothfighting.com in the next day or so. Uh, and finally, social media. You can follow us individually, uh, Twitter and Instagram. I am at Richard Hunter. Facebook, I am at official Richard Hunter. Uh, on Facebook, he is official Frank Mir. Twitter and Instagram, he is the Frank Mir. And Frank, tell them where they can find the show. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, you can find us at Phone Booth Fighting. And if you are on Snapchat or Twitter, it's just Phone Booth Fight. Travis is on Twitter at Scuba T Diving. T is in Travis. He's always up for collecting new friends over there and uh, has done a... Uh, it's good to have him back, by the way. He it was is. he was away for a week. And let me just say in closing, I you don't even know about this, Frank. Uh I, I was having to go back to my old one-man band day. We were old school on the last episode. I forgot to change the setting on the Zoom recorder, and for the first 10 minutes of the show, we were using the room audio instead of... You could hear it, but it was low, instead of our mic audio. Uh. And I even put a disclaimer. I did a little voiceover at the beginning of the podcast. Hey, I screwed up. Sorry, guys. It will fix itself 10 minutes in. See, Travis, you leave us and it all goes to shit. I know. And you know what? There was there was an outpouring of online appreciation for Travis on our social media saying, I see what happens when he's not there now and we need him back. And he's back. And that's why this whole thing has sonically sounded even. So we appreciate him. For Travis. Did you want to say something, Travis? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was up... Uh 
up by the border in uh, northern Minnesota and found out we have listeners even there in the small towns. So uh, I'm sure Joel, I can't remember the other guy's name, but uh, I know Joel for sure. Okay. Uh, he listens to the show Thank every week. you, Joel, up there in uh, near the Canadian border. Appreciate you listening. Glad you got to meet Travis in person. He was a nice guy. Just, just as nice as you would hope he would be. Yep. It's not a character he's playing on the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast. For Travis, for Frank Mir, I'm Richard Hunter, and we'll see you right back here next time on Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with